This is Paul with Daily Review. And this is Mike from Pop Culture Review. And this is the Outsider Podcast. Tonight we're talking about episode 10, the season finale of season one, Must Can't. Teleplay was by Richard Price, who did most of the episodes this season, and it was directed by Andrew Bernstein. Today we have a special guest with us. It's Adam. He's the founder and admin of the Outsider Fan Group, parentheses, HBO miniseries. Thanks for sitting in with us today, Adam. Sure. Thanks for having me, guys. We are so excited to have you today because we love to talk The Outsider and we want lots and lots of conversation about this finale. We finally got to the shootout, boys. Were you guys excited? Yes. Definitely. Finally. I'm glad that they didn't wait, that we came right back into it and picked up from last week. If we were at the shootout, which one of these characters is most like you guys? What would you be doing in a shootout? I'd like to say that I'm Yoon, kind of put my body out there, willing to take a shot. They were all pretty courageous. Seal proved his dumbassery and continued his unbroken streak with just running out to take some in the chest. It was not the heroic death that I had predicted for him last week. <laughs> I think I would probably do something dumbass like Andy, but I'd like to think that were I in the truck like that, I don't know why he wasn't flooring it the entire way out of there. I would have done what Andy tried to do, but with a much faster (laughs) moving vehicle. Super successful, right? (laughs) He seemed like he had never driven a car before. And not the time, and not the time to do a K turn, like like he's taking a driver's test. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Andy, get your shit together, man! That's so funny. Oh my god! Just jam your foot down, bro. Come on oh now. Oh my god, that's so funny, Adam. Who do you think amongst those characters? Where do you think you would lie? Well, it was all really intense. I was like, wow, we're already doing this right away. I relate a lot to what Holly's doing. I'm just standing back, scared, or, or like watching, or actually wanting to care for the people that I'm, I'm seeing being hurt. I appreciate that, Adam. That's a good call. I've Holly is a perfectly good choice because you're right. She was trying to like take in all the information, figure out where the shots were coming from, make sure that everybody was safe. I would either be Holly or I'd have to say I'd be full on Andy. I don't think I could stand like trying to stay there. I think I would want to flee. Flee would be my, my, my direction. I would definitely hop in the car, but I would definitely slam on the gas. And I will admit to you guys, I would definitely hit some trees on my way out. <laughs> I am positive I would smash some parts of the car off for sure on my way out. I can attest to her skills driving in reverse when <laughs> she's trying ass. to do good. And and yeah, it, it can get a little rambunctious for those behind her. We need to give a special VIP surprise hero award to Howie. Who would have guessed Howie putting himself out in the line of fire to go rescue definitely dead Andy, you know, in a horrific fire? Like, I think he had the worst death maybe of anyone. Poor Howie. From the book, didn't he just get his head blown off just like Alec? Clean right the fuck off. Yep. (laughs) Two shots, two headless men. So this was a little bit different and a lot more dramatic as a lot of the changes they seem to make from the book. A little more heroic for for Howie on this. Uh, Yeah, definitely a little more heroic, especially since he had been kind of a turd turd douchebag the last couple episodes. If we had to put them in category of like, boy, you made a giant mistake versus, wow, you acted heroically. Who kind of stands out to you guys in this shootout? Well, it's easy to say Seal made, I mean, the biggest mistake, just going out with no cover at all with a deer rifle to take out this guy that that he couldn't even really see. I th- I'm going to say Seal made the biggest mistake, but that one's that's easy. That's a softball. I mean, Howie was heroic in that sense. And of course, it didn't work out for him, but he I was tried. actually rooting for him. Yes. Yeah, I was, yeah, it was, it was kind of a bummer to see him uh, go out like that. 
I liked Howie not only because he went for Andy, but the reason he went for Andy was to protect Holly. I actually really liked how all of them rallied around her. And again, not because she's a girl that needs protecting. She was clearly not going to be using a gun. You know, she was very anti-gun always. They weren't going to let her make an emotional decision to kind of go run out after her her one true love, which I say I, uh, sarcastically. So I, I was happy that Howie did that for that reason. But I was really impressed that Yoon and Ralph in that kind of chaotic situation really kept their police instincts about them. I think they both reacted the way you would expect veteran cops to behave with a shooter you can't see who's got the high ground, you know, kind of doing their best to mitigate the situation. Yeah, I mean, they, they whenever someone did something stupid like run out into the open, they did their best to provide cover, but they didn't bring the right guns for this kind of thing. So they could just kind of shoot in the general direction of the noise coming at them, but they had no realistic chance of of hitting Jack. One of the funny things, unintentionally funny things, is after Holly shuts up Jack and Yoon continues to fire and you just hear his like little handgun popping off in the distance and Holly says to Ralph, just tell him to stop shooting. Jack's not going to shoot anymore. He wasn't on screen, but you just heard his pop, pop. Pop! You know, he was just firing blindly into the distance kind of thing. But he was trying. Who was the most unexpected death of this crew? We had really done a good job of calling everybody out. Adam, you might be the only one who could really provide the best unexpected death answer here because we really had called out Andy... We knew Seal, we knew Alec was a very likely one. Howie, I was on the fence because we have season two on the perhaps horizon. So who was the most unexpected? For me, it was definitely Howie. I I didn't expect that at all. I guess when Jack shot out the the gas tank and you saw the leak, I was like, oh no, this this is about to happen. But I didn't expect that prior to the episode. So that would probably be my... I agree. I thought, you know, since they had changed his role from the book... They brought him in with the uh, the reserve unit <laughs> with the um, Bolton brothers. I thought he had a chance of, of of making it until he decided to try to save Andy. That I mean, you could the, the writing was on the wall before he he trotted out there. Andy wasn't gonna make it at that point. Bummer, but yeah, I, I was most surprised that they changed his his story, but still killed him. I also was surprised at Howie only because he was originally one of my my three. I, I originally said Alec, Andy, and Howie, but when they introduced the Seal Claude Howie thing going to the cave last week on last week's episode, I, I took Howie off of the death board and put him on the safe side because I figured Seal was going to step into his death shoes. So I was expecting three. So four surprised me that they it was Seal and Howie that both went. Same same as you guys. You guys had convinced me that with the season two and the lawsuit that Howie made a lot of sense going forward. It was also consistent with the book. So it, it was surprising the way they had set the story up, but not surprising because he does go in the book. In the end of the day, it's kind of interesting. Why did they bring Seal and Claude up there? Since it's only proper here, it's the end finale for these particular men. It seems right that we give them a little eulogy. So I'm going to ask each of you guys, and you can, doesn't just have to be based on their death moment, but it can be based on what we saw about them throughout this first season. Can you guys eulogize each of them? We're going to start off with Seal. So Paul, give us a one word eulogy. You can give a little backing on it, but. Jackass. Paul took mine. (laughs) yeah same (laughs) i'll say a compound phrase i'll say inbred hero how about that oh wow (laughs) we'll we'll do a little prince here dearly beloved (laughs) we're gonna gather here today to celebrate a thing called life ed or el cucos (laughs) or and and el (laughs) cucos oh my gosh for me i said seal i'm going with misguided 
I think he thought that he was doing the best he could, looking after his brother, and at the end of the day, he just ran right into a bullet, like a little Muppet. So, misguided. Statistically, when- someone should not be able to make as many poor decisions as Seal made in the last, like, three hours of the show. Just everyone was wrong. you think he would break more 50-50. If he was still alive, he should go to Vegas and play, play the odds, because, man, he was tilting the table. He's due. He was due. He was due. For Howie, would be like, uh, well, aside from heroic, but very, very selfless. You know, he was thinking of Polly and saving her guy, and he went out taking that risk. Okay, so let's move on to Howie, guys. So what do you think, Mike? A credit to the lawyer race. <laughs> the lawyer race, like you're your own minority group. <laughs> we sit low on the totem pole of people, but sometimes one of us will run up and rise up. And get burned in a fire trying to do something heroic. You know, that's the best we can sometimes hope to go out as. My one word, I guess, would be noble. I like that. I was going with stalwart. Because I felt like he was like, he was a steady character. Like, I don't feel like he was all over the place. I just felt like he was just like, he, he was trying to be a good guy. And trying to protect all the people who he thought he needed to be protecting. But, you know, he had his own convictions. And he kind of, you know, stood his own little ground. And shit, you guys. Are we watching Andy, our friend, burn to death? Is Are none of us going to go try to pull him out? Are y'all all watching him burn? I was pretty sure he was dead. Yeah, he, he knew that he was he was shot. But he, uh, the, the burning part, I don't think he calculated that part of it because he couldn't see it. It was shot was happening on the other side of the truck. the actual flames right? came up on, on the side of his face. The flames burning thing. It totally was. Mrs. White? I think it was Mrs. White. All right. What about Alec, you guys? What are we giving Alec? A true believer. Yeah, dutiful. Go with that, headless. <laughs> I'm going to say, I think he was brave because I think he was the type of person who he like knew there was danger and he, he said, I'm going. I'm going towards the danger. Anybody who's willing to go towards the danger, that's a brave, brave person in my heart. So good on him. I don't, I've got nothing bad to say about Alec in this entire first season. Do you guys? I liked Alec. You know, he was the best of that retired cop smart. So he had cop smarts, but he was retired. So he could be a little more relaxed and a little more practical. You know, he didn't have to be as, you know, stick up his ass like Ralph at that point in his life. Yeah, I mean, he was a, he was an early believer, too. So he was sort of our hook into the brain trust so that that, that idea could finally take root. We needed a beachhead in, in the um, brain trust group, and he was one. Paul, did you both say head and brain in your Alec? <laughs> Sad. Andy, I'm going to go first, and I'm going to say clumsy AF. <laughs> His he I don't think his hands were actually attached to the rest of himself. He's like whoa 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 like okay Andy we did just come popping up here clumsy right needlessly careful driver and I'm also gonna say clumsy throughout the season I don't understand where he was why he was really in here I don't feel like his backstory makes any freaking sense in terms of like the clumsy writing like we all talked about why was he like in that like police department office setting when he's supposedly like mall security parking lot security i don't he was a clumsy character all over the place the sarcastic person in me would say who but i'll say (laughs) he was the most handsome red shirt that we've ever seen in tv a man brought into the show simply to die <laughs> nice. I don't want to say he's a coward, but yeah, he yeah he attempts to, to drive away, right? Yep. Well, he's trying to get a, a call. So we think he was going to call for help in yeah. some way, but I don't know who the hell you're getting to come and what's going to happen. But okay. I know. 
<laughs> it was a little short-sighted, Andy. I mean, I can't say I would have done differently because, uh, I don't know, when you're in that moment and you're, you're just trying to survive and, and just get out of there, I almost feel like I might have related more to him than, than what I said before, but you just never know unless you're put in that situation. I'm actually glad that we brought up Jack, though, as relates to Andy, because... Jack really was kind of erratic in this scene, and I think his interaction with Andy was really interesting. When Andy pops out, he's muttering to himself, like, very drunk, but he mutters to himself, he's like, no, why? Why Why did you have to do that? It was almost like he felt regretful that he had to go kill the safest driver in a tense situation ever, Andy. A very interesting kind of way he approached it. He was almost like resigned to having to kill him. I thought that was interesting. That was one of several interesting things about Jack in that scene. Let's talk about him. First of all, the whole shootout we have, the snake. Mike, you brought up the snake as like definitely going to bite him. Were you feeling good about that? Did you feel like, ha ha, the snake was going to come? Like I said last week, I was at Chekhov's snake. They showed the snake. I had to do something at some point, but it was also in the book too. So when they showed the snake, I had a feeling that was going to happen. Same. I have to admit that I have not read the book. Me neither. Okay, good. I felt like I was the only one. I was like, man, am I I prepared for this? These two wieners are always spoiling it for me. I was like, God damn it. Why'd y'all read the book? I mean, I I was sold with Stephen King and Jason Bateman. You know, I'm an Ozark fan, so this came on and and I was was all about it. Yeah, as soon as I saw the snake, I knew they were definitely going to pay that off in some way. And Jack was full on, in my opinion, consumed by El Cuco. And either he was going to allow the snake to bite him to, I guess, end it. I just knew the snake was going to meet him in some way. Again, I don't know the the source material. So it was still, it still played out surprisingly, I guess. Did you expect Adam for him to spare Holly? Like when he saw the, you know, her in the scope and he's like watching her and watching her, did you think he might yeah. actually try? For a number of reasons, actually. Well, for one, she's, I guess, I don't want to call it like plot armor, but I, I see her as a, a main character with Ralph. I had a, a strong sense that they were both going to finish the series. I don't know if El Cuco has a, a thing for, for Holly as far as like keeping her around, but I, I know Jack and Holly, you know, they got to know each other in, in, in the ride in previous episodes. So I, I always felt like if there was a point to where Jack was going to take her out, he wasn't going to because Jack or and or El Cuco, I just uh, I felt like she was safe all the way. You think it's possible that he was under orders not to kill Holly? There's that too, yeah. Yeah, it was one of the first things that El Cuco says to Holly uh, later on. That you know, Claude doesn't know your last name, but he sure does think about you a lot. So I wonder if a little bit of that Claude personality seeped into to Goo Claude, uh, provided some sympathy. Plus, he seemed like he had questions for Holly. He had as many questions for Holly, I think, as Holly had for him. Paulo, did you expect that that Jack was going to spare Holly? And why do you think he did? The more that I think about the episode as a whole, the the way that the episode ended with a potential Holly El Cuco connection, I gotta imagine that she was she was as as we say in the computer world, whitelisted <laughs> from from the attack on El Cuco's orders, because maybe she is a project. For him, or maybe his escape hatch, or or something. And I'm going to go into next season thinking that something about her IP address always did make me feel safe, so I would have whitelisted her also, Paul. Right. Don't worry about it, it. It's- did you guys think that Jack was going to die by snake bite, or did you expect this stepping off right in front of them? And you guys actually telling he's in the cave. Go kill him. Kapow! Is that how you saw Jack playing out? And if you saw it in the book. 
And shut your lips on that. Just say what happened on the screen. Maybe, maybe start with Adam then. <laughs> oh, you boys. Well, this was actually different than the book. So I was actually pleasantly surprised in, in his ultimate demise. Well, the way he kind of the way he kind of wandered into the camp. But I was more interested in Jack before all of this stuff. The way he's wildly shooting and drinking. And he's he seems like he's just being reckless. Like he can't make a shot. You know, as the scene went on, I don't think that was it at all. I think he was just trying to fuck with them. I, you know, he put like nine bullets in already dead Alex's body. I don't know if you guys were watching that. Watch it again. And Alex's yeah. body is, he, it's just constantly jumping as bullets, straight bullets are hitting him. But then when he wants to, but then I, I wrote it down. When Andy runs out, he says, why couldn't you stay where you are? Like, he didn't want to kill Andy, but it was too obvious a target to miss. You know, he didn't care about Seal. He didn't know Seal. He didn't have a connection. You know, he didn't shoot Howie dead. He lit the car on fire, which caused Howie's death. He spared Ralph. He spared Holly. He didn't kill Yoon. He shot him in the arm. He was very selective in the end with how he killed, even though he was drunk and firing wildly. It was almost like it was part show. Maybe, maybe to make... El Cuco feel like he was trying, but he was only kind of half-hearted trying. It was it was actually really interesting. I think he was the most interesting character in the entire opening in total. So I, I thought Jack's whole motivations were really kind of worth looking at and thinking about what was he thinking there at the end? Was this finally his suicide by cop? Maybe this is a chance to clear things up for me. We, we know El Cuco was, was Claude, right? Like in, in Claude's, like Claude's body, but then there was actual Claude. The entire time once we start seeing the, the rash and then the, the welt from the back of Jack's neck. I'm thinking El Cuco is almost from the beginning of introduction of Jack. He was embodied or taken over by El Cuco. Are we seeing, or is it definitive that El Cuco had nothing to do with with Jack in the shootout in the beginning of the episode, or or is that all Jack's true character, or or is that a, a manipulation from El Cuco as well? Uh, the idea is that he wasn't inhabiting Jack, but he was controlling Jack through the cancer and. The welt on his neck, which was cancer in his body, he okay. was he was initially controlling Jack by saying, "If you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to make you suffer horribly, like your mother suffered." But I think by the end, I think he did have basically uh, like he had like some kind of mental telepathy because at the end of last week, Seal tells Claude they're going up to the cave to get El Cuco. You see, Goo Claude, El Cuco. You see him almost download that message. Because whatever Claude hears, he can hear. Without saying a word, Jack, who's sitting behind El Cuco, just rises and walks out of the cave to go set up his sniper perch. So I think by that point, I think there was actually maybe a mental link. But he wasn't, he was telling him what to do, but he wasn't physically controlling his body. No, Jack, Jack had some autonomy over what he was actually doing. That and, and Jack on Jack, too, uh, probably had a lot to do with his actions. Jack Daniel. He was hitting that bottle the entire time. He was. I mean, there was some really gross dribbling out of his mouth. They were, they really pulled up close. On yeah, him. I saw. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah. You know what it reminded me of was like a rabid dog. Right. The type of thing where you say like, oh, no, he's been infected. Yeah, something very sick. He was a good boy, but now, oh no, he's got this virus and it's like dripping, you know, foam out of his mouth. He's old yeller. He's old yeller. We didn't notice him shooting the already dropped bodies several times. And I was wondering what that was all about. I don't know if that was on in intentional or if it was just by mistake. I think there's an element of, of wanting to psych them out. Yeah, okay. I, th I think I think it was a little bit of psyching them out, making them be scared and making them make mistakes. But I think it was also because he knew El Cuco was monitoring him. I mean, we kept, we kept getting flashes, right, of El Cuco in the cave. I think, I, I think he was monitoring what Jack was doing, 
but like through feeling. But he, it's not like he could see out of Jack's eyes. So I think Jack was putting on a little bit of a show as much for El Cuco as he was to scare them. He, when Andy does run out and he does have to kill him, you see him actually focus. It takes him three shots to get Andy down through the trees while he's making the perfect K-turn. <laughs> but he's focusing there, whereas earlier he's just swinging his gun around wildly while he's taking long swigs of their sniper jack who's on duty and then their sniper jack who's just fucking around with bullets. I thought it was really interesting the way they portrayed him in the scene. We're going to talk about Jack across the season here, not in depth, but we need a one-word eulogy and a little backing for him. Bad upbringing. That's what I got. <laughs> Do you want to back that at all or no? Just good? That's for the whole season? No, I, I think the bit we saw with his ghost mom was supposed to inform us that his childhood was not happy, that he, a domineering mother that made him kind of the way he is out of some amount of like uh, beating and rebellion, probably. Um, yeah, I, I, I blame his mom. I'm going with tortured, you guys. Tortured. Yeah. Because I feel like that's how he was throughout the season. That's how he was throughout his life. And that was like his death was like awful. I mean, his face was all swollen. Mm. I mean, he was limping. And then he just finally, you know, God, to put a gun in your mouth and shoot. Good God. Awful. To branch off of both those points, ultimately, he ended up being out of control, erratic, just an, an very irritable, angry person. Even from the, the beginning introductory scene in the bar, he was a drunk, just out of control. And it, and it has to do with points that you guys just just made his upbringing and, and just a, a tortured soul. Maybe uh, Peaches Crease Platinum member. Oh my, probably that. I think I'm going to go with hashtag it's complicated. They spent so much at the beginning of the season really making him just this, this irredeemable piece of shit. But then I feel like starting with his time in the car with Holly it really revealed a whole other layer to Jack that we hadn't really seen. We, we didn't really appreciate the how broken he was, which is funny because Holly picks up on that literally immediately after they meet. And I think through her eyes, Jack was a bad guy. He was a bad man who got the end he deserved. But I don't think it was as black and white as it would have seemed if you just judged him based on the beginning of the series. He didn't understand why this was happening to him. He didn't kill Holly. He didn't kill Ralph. And he could have. He could have. I mean, he was ignoring El Cuco's orders to a certain extent. You know, when Holly tells him, screams at him, you know, damn you to hell, he just stops. He bites the bullet down there by them in the camp. Was ended up being a much more complex, interesting character. I would have said he was back in episode two and three. I think we've talked about it before how in in this case the bateman and the writing team took a generic stephen king bad guy who is kind of an asshole just because he's an asshole and gave him some depth you know his behavior in this episode backs that up character development wise if you look at a character arc of we don't know who he is at the beginning versus we have an idea of who he is at the end i think you have to look at jack hoskins as one of the people that we we really actually got to know maybe the best i like your segue for me of who we didn't know at the beginning but that we get to meet at the end find El Cuco boys, we finally get to get into that cave. Were you guys surprised that it was just Holly and Ralph? Did you think Yoon was going to try to go down there? Did you think Claude was heading down there right away? What did you guys think was going to happen? No, I pretty much thought it was just going to be those two. I don't know what other role Yoon would have played. I, like I had been mentioning all season how the show has been a departure from the book in pretty successful ways. I was excited to see how they would change the end because I knew that they would change the addition of Claude. I thought was kind of a cool twist compared to what I was expecting to come. I knew 
that it was going to be those two, and I was glad to see Claude. What happened is kind of what I was kind of expecting. Ralph and Holly at the end. I always pictured them as as the the last two that were going to make it out, or, or at least was see through the to the ends. I don't want to say it was predictable, but I definitely was seeing them in that end. Was it predictable that El Cuco actually talked to them and was like trying to warn them about the slipperiness and all that? Well, I felt like there was going to be some confrontation with El Cuco after. 10 episodes of really not interacting with this entity and, and the audience wanting to know what this is. Are we going to see it? Are we going to hear from it? It was uh, satisfying in a sense to finally be able to see the characters interact with it in some way. No, it wasn't surprising that they did talk to it. I guess I was surprised to see how they did it. For some reason, expected to see more of the uh, the hooded version of El Cuco and, and instead of what we did see. Because that's kind of what we, we had saw. Again, this is somebody who, who didn't read, who doesn't know the source material. So just seeing glimpses of El Cuco throughout the series, he's a, a hooded, a hidden figure. I kind of expected to uh, maybe see that again in the finale and then interact with that kind of visual but so for audience members who are listening and maybe like adam were sort of unsure of like what we were going to see with el cuco as we were tracking along we were at the 27 day full cycle of el cuco so he had transformed completely into claude at that point i thought it was clever of them to show us the cut of the real claude outside standing over seal so that when one second later they showed us goo claude is what we call (laughs) adam in case you don't know when it's goo terry or goo claude oh i was wondering on that okay (laughs) It's the transformed version. It's the El Cuco version. And that is a detail that I forgot. Yeah, so thanks for reminding me on that. Yeah, because I I, I missed that detail. There's loads of people out there who are asking a lot of questions right now, and that's why it's so great to, like, talk it out. It's super helpful to ask questions. When we see Claude, though, and this is Goo Claude, and they bother to remind the audience, okay, real Claude is outside with Seal, so this is El Cuco. Did you think that you would be more of a Ralph or more of a Holly in terms of how much investigative reporting you wanted to do when you actually get to meet Goo Claude slash El Cuco? No, I I totally felt Holly for asking all those questions. This was the first opportunity you've had to, especially for Holly. That totally made sense to me. I like that Ralph said, stop asking him questions. You know, like you would do to like a, a like a little kid who always asks too many questions. That's kind of how he treated her there. I totally appreciated that she was asking him questions. She wants answers. What are you? Are there more of you? I really like their interaction because I like that Goo Claude El Cuco doesn't know. He doesn't know what he is. He doesn't know if there are more of him. I really like the interaction because he had as many questions for her as she did for him. And they together are really both trying to kind of figure it all out this uh, jigsaw puzzle and and filling in the pieces and Holly had a lot of pieces but not all the pieces and even in this final confrontation neither of them El Cuco or Holly had all of the pieces and so even at the end we're still missing pieces of the puzzle Uh, just to go back to your earlier thing I I like that Claude did not go in with them right away because I actually liked the interaction with Holly and Ralph looking at the Bolton's you know, the little plaque that was erected for the people who had died in the cave-in. And and just kind of the two of these people going into this tense situation together, you know, knowing how they had come together over the course of the season. I thought it was, I thought it was, not, I'm glad that they brought Claude in because I thought it was a good, a good addition to the story. But I'm glad we got to see them walk in together first because you got that last minute before the real tension hit. Adding to that just a little bit, remember how earlier this season we had been talking about the El Cuco selection process, what the mo- motivations might have been for choosing one person over 
or another. And when he's down in the cave there, he says that when he becomes a person, that he can feel sort of like energy, I guess, relating to the family of that person, even extending to their dead relatives buried under rocks just nearby. The shared blood of who I'm becoming. I really like that line. I liked how he delivered it. You know, it was Claude's voice, but it was echoey. And yeah, all of the lines he delivered, I thought, were really, really impactful. This confirmation of the, I really do feel sated from being around the misery of those that I'm becoming. It's, it was really, it was really good. I mean, he's a, he's a vagabond spirit in that he has to kind of go from place to place. But in a way, Claude feels like a very possible plan A, you know, for this guy. Because he picked a hideout next to the misery associated with all these dead relatives. And he picked a guy that is pretty plausibly maybe involved with violent crime if you just look at his background and having been a criminal. Maybe there's more to it. Maybe he does keep, uh, you know, like dossiers (laughs) or something of, of potential goo victims. Paul, I know you pretty well. I'm trying to think to myself, are you more of a Ralph, a Holly, or a Claude? Are you the guy saying, shut up, quit asking questions? Are you the one asking a bunch of questions? Are you the one that comes in about 10, 15 minutes behind and blows up the, the the boogeyman. I'm sad to say that I think I'm more of a Claude. I don't know that I would, after blowing him off his feet because I just got him in the stomach with a shotgun, that I'd march around and wait for the ceiling to come down on top of me. But I think I have enough bad temper in me to, to admit to being a Claude. But they did the Claude hanging around like a deer in the headlights to make the audience feel uneasy about which Claude we were going to see once the scene picked up again. That's true, yes. I I felt like it was kind of like a base manipulation. I I, I think it was still pretty obvious uh, which one was which. Didn't Goo Claude have like mutton chops and (laughs) regular? They had a little bit different facial hair, but he also had, you know, the uh, giant uh, gut wound from the the shotgun also in his chest. That differentiator, right. That was, was, I thought thought that was significant. (laughs) Nice. Nice. You sure you're not a criminal Um, lawyer? (laughs) I know. Forensic files with Mike. Oh, my God. (laughs) Adam, as as more of our audience representative, did you feel like the majority of people on your Facebook page are confused about Goo Claude, original Claude? Were a lot of people asking a lot of questions about this part of meeting El Cuco and the fact that it was a Claude face that they were seeing? No, a lot of the posts and comments were more about Holly. Tell us. I want to hear this. Yeah. There was one post that was like, was she in love? And I'm like, oh, I think that was kind of an obvious, well, I thought she was, or at least she, she had feelings. A lot of it was the, the cliffhanger. Talk to me yeah. about when the, when your audience people, if anyone was talking about like when they first saw El Cuco, did they expect to see like, I don't know, some sort of demon or something? Or like, were people surprised to see a clawed looking entity? They didn't say uh, anything as far as... Those details, but I did see some comments, some posts about how they were disappointed in, in how this ended. I guess a lot of the, the folks wanted to see more of the entity instead of it, it being in the clawed form. I don't remember anybody specifically saying that, but I, I just a little bit that I was picking up. They wanted more of a payoff on this this El Cuco. Uh, like an actual battle or like a or more answers, I guess. Yeah, kind of a combination of both. Probably more answers on who, who this this entity is. I mean, we know him as El Cuco, and and he feeds off of the, the children because they taste sweet. We didn't see him like we saw him 
in the form of Claude. And it was, I mean, it still remains a mystery. And I guess that that's okay. I mean, for me, it's okay. But I think a lot of the audience wanted, especially if this was going to be a one and done miniseries, they wanted it to be completely unveiled. You know, this this, uh, this El Cuco being. And it's interesting you say that because I saw a lot of this was anticlimactic. What we, we have covered took only 28 minutes in an hour long episode of a show. They really got to the final battle with El Cuco, which was basically a, a dignified conversation. And then it was done. It was, I looked at the clock, it was 28 minutes. And I was like, what is going to happen now? I can see why people were feeling a little anticlimactic. So he's, he's gone. So we have about, what, 15, 20 minutes left? What, what's going to, or maybe even more? What's, okay, I'm, you've got my attention. Let's see how we're wrapping this up. I love, Adam, that you said, you know, here El Cuco was gone, but... Big fat question mark, because we have Ralph seeing the ghost boys. First of all, could you guys clearly see who they were? It was Derek and Ollie. Okay, Mm. so the two he feels responsible for, yes? Right, and I like that they did that because... For this unbeliever, seeing these two visions, they were almost like good gatekeepers to tell him that El Cuco wasn't dead. I actually really like that scene. I, I do wish that it would have been more instantly familiar to the audience. Did you guys have a little bit of trouble with the darkness? Because I was having a little trouble with the darkness of the actual shot. Sometimes I was like, purely a Game of Thrones. It's too dark. <laughs> well, fun fact, they actually shot in a cave. They took the crew down into a cave and shot in a cave on location for a week. Cynthia Arrivo, who plays Holly Gibney, complained about it being so damp and so cold and so fucking dark. That was the actual conditions that they were dealing in, the cast and crew. It was in the uh, behind the scenes after the episode was over. I really like that they did that. I wish that came across more to me. And I can't really explain that better than that. But the authenticity of what you're saying feels like a really, really good intention. But I don't know that I, as an audience member, felt that authenticity. I actually read this after the fact. But when I was watching, I thought uh, it was on set. I mean, most of the time it is. So I I look for the... I looked for that in the background as a, as a viewer. And, but So I was actually surprised to, to learn that it wasn't. So that's weird, right, Adam? Like, what did they do wrong there? How did they kind of mess this up? Like, they had the authentic cave. How did they, how did they twist that into making it feel like a set? The collapsing of it? I mean, obviously, that was, that was controlled and, and probably CGI and everything. So seeing that, and I just felt like the entire set would have been a very controlled area. And so to, to know that it was actually in a cave is very surprising to me. To get the, the cast and all the, the crew in there and, and, and willing to be in there, it's, it's uh, I mean, I applaud them for it. I actually want to ask a question that I didn't think about, but I saw in the Facebook groups today when I was going through, when I was going through Adam's Facebook group uh, today, the Holly tries to flick the lights on and off, right? When the, her and Ralph first enter the cave, she tries to do the, the circuit breaker and it doesn't seem to work. But El Cuco's chilling down there with like full electricity, like the lamps are on. We get that like lingering shot on one of the, one of the Jack bought lamps. What was the significance, do you guys think, of El Cuco having light down in a cave? He likes to do the jumble. <laughs> You're the jumble. Okay, so... <laughs> He's going over the uh, El Cuco dossiers. Right, yeah, have, see? Like, like, like shopping for like a Christmas catalog. He needs a nice, oh warm God. light source. This this child needs this child needs <laughs> very sweet. Mm. I felt like it was weird because El Cuco is supposed to be so old. I felt like focusing on something modern like electricity seemed like extra nonsense. Like, why not just have like lanterns and shit down there? Right. He's like, get me a burner phone, yo. <laughs> exactly. 
Really? Well, in the end, we actually don't know how old El Cuco is, or this El Cuco. He was very shortcoming in having no information about his own story. But, I mean, the concept of El Cuco was well established with Holly's background saying all the things about how he's been, you know, cross cultures on every continent for, like, all of history kind of feeling. Then it's like, and so he's all about, like, a Ikea lamp? Like, what the ho? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to roll with the times, you know, why, why use a candle if you can use a nice Walmart lamp? <laughs> he doesn't want to be accused of being behind the times. <laughs> I mean, he's he's I not an Amish El Cuco. Right. You know, he is, he's a laughing stock of the El Cuco he's a good, community. He's a good Georgian Cuco, El Cuco. Oh my so. God. Okay, so Paul, why do you think Ralph needed to see the ghosts? That was a question mark I had like instantly was that I didn't really come to a strong resolution on you and I talked about it and we thought maybe they were a projection of a dying El Cuco as a like going away fuck you sort of to to Ralph but all that made Ralph do was come back and kill him for realsies with a big rock I don't think that's it but that doesn't leave me with an answer of what they were doing there if that was maybe ralph's own mojo working somehow i i don't know you know all season we we talked about the vision of derek that ralph has that says you have to let me go you know we spent time talking about was that el cuco projecting that or was that ralph's own kind of subconscious talking you know over the grief of his son projecting that this seemed to tie into that for me that again this non-believer this least believing of believers would see these visions as a like subconscious warning sign that El Cuco was not dead. And I don't think it was El Cuco causing it, because why would he? You know, he was sitting there playing possum. Okay, I like that. I like mm. the idea of, like, so you think it was, like, his own intuition that was, like, making him think of these? Like, hold up. Like, that's not good enough. Go back again. He carries around guilt and grief for both of them. Significant. You know, obviously, he, he still grieves over his son significantly. Killing Ali was one of the things he regretted most in this season. Obviously, I think he feels bad about what he did to Terry, but he actually took this young boy's life. He led to the eventual decimation of this family, the Peterson family. So I, I think they were both significant for that reason versus why it wasn't why it wasn't Frankie, because he didn't kill Frankie. I agree on the, on all of that. Also, there's simple double tap. You just make sure it's it's done. Zombieland rule. Yeah. Do you guys think it's done? Does actually smashing his brain do anything? Well, after what we see at the end, I don't think so. But but in that moment, I would have done the exact same thing that uh, that Ralph did. If it's me as who I am now, no, uh, after all the movies that I've seen, I'm definitely going to go make sure it's you're going to crush the skull or whatever, the brain, uh, eliminate any possibility this thing is still going to move. Do you think, Mike, this could wind up being sort of like a Doctor Who style regeneration where this thing might reform in Holly somehow and pertain you know retain its some of its its memories but becomes like a different version of that entity this is going to be more book lore and and I'm gonna, I'm only going to bridge it the bridge the gap because the show did not show this it didn't it went out of its way to not show this so in the book Holly is the one who smashes in El Cuco's head using uh, basically a sock full of like she called it a slapjack with ball bearings she bashes in his head basically and splits him open like a melon and when el cuco's head splits open a bunch of like wiggly worms come out of his uh, out of his head 
and begin crawling their way towards Ralph and Holly, which speeds Ralph and Holly from trying to get the fuck out of the cave as, as fast as possible. And I always took the book to say that if those worms had reached them, they would have been able to implant themselves in a new host. We see Ralph one time smash El Cuco's head in, but we don't get to see what the aftermath of that was. So I think that I think the show again, and I, like a couple times tonight, I think was being intentionally vague on something that moved the camera over just another couple feet. Let's see what actually happened to his brains. Why did you only smash his head in once? For a guy that you're not sure you can kill at all, you're only going to hit his head in the, with a rock one time. That seems insufficient to me. But I think it was done so that the question of can the wiggly parts of El Cuco make their way into a new host like maybe Holly. Did you notice that aspect of the camera work in this episode as opposed to other episodes? They didn't seem to put the action in the center of the of the frame very often. Like you just mentioned, move the camera two, two feet over, maybe we'll see what we want to see. Didn't that seem to happen for a lot of shots in this episode? But you know what? Maybe it makes more sense that now that we know that it was like actually in a cave, maybe the angles and stuff weren't obviously as amenable as if you were on a built set. I really think the show was spent a lot of time trying to be vague about what was going on. The same way that they had Claude inexplicably hang around so that there would be confusion over which Claude it was. Same way that they had uh, Holly lingering over El Cuco's body with, with the knife in his chest talking about who's Terry. You know, the same way we don't see him actually smash his head in we just see from we just see ralph's arms drop the rock down i think the show is kind of like you know dance puppet dance you know we want to we want to make you you know wonder what's happening in case we come back for a season two which kind of annoys me as a television viewer you know i build you build your suspense without having to be manipulative about it and i think they could have i'm going to show you a little bit but i'm not gonna you know i'm just gonna show you the tip i'm not gonna show you the whole thing kind of thing good lord just the, okay. just the tip <laughs> got it. Um, gotcha. Got it. Um, okay. So when we are looking at the face, El Cuco's face is morphing. Did you guys think it was morphing into Holly at that second? Or was it morphing into like all different people it had been over the ages? What were you seeing, Adam? Most people, well, even from the people that uh, I've read the comments in the group, it, it seemed like uh, it was hit the past the people that it had morphed into or transformed into in the past, uh, the people that it framed. I watched this one time and I did not rewind to or slow down to try to capture every face. So I didn't get every different face that was kind of showing, but that was my take on it. I didn't see Holly at all. It was a little like seeing your life flash before your eyes, huh? Like you get to like morph your whole face into it. Paul or Mike, were you guys seeing anything different? I saw what looked like Terry and then I saw what I assumed was Maria. So I assumed it was the Heath was the middle face, but then the behind the scenes, the same place where they had, they talked about shooting on the cave, Dennis Lehane, who was involved with a couple of the episodes writing the season, he talked about how it was El Cuco going back through the faces he had previously taken. And they described it as kind of like a fuck you taunt to Ralph as he lay dying kind of thing. That final 
I did all this. Have you really stopped it? We may maybe have another dead kid there from last week with uh, D.A. Hayes. Kind of reminded me of uh, when T2 died. <laughs> Although that wasn't a fuck you to anybody. That was just a complete loss of control of his form. Yeah, I can see that. I had the same T2 reaction also until I saw that. To me, the, the dark-skinned face w- had the soft features and kind of high cheekbones that I associate with Holly. It wasn't exactly Holly's face, but it could have been Holly's family. <laughs> Does that make sense? It looked to me like it was Heath's complexion, but with the feminine features of Maria, that gave the Holly impression. And again, I think it was the show being kind of clever. This is a yes or no. Is this particular entity, this one and only, truly dead? Yes. This particular one? I don't know, but... The way they've set it up, something's continuing. You're giving it a, like, the El Cuco entity, the concept is still alive, but maybe this creature's dead. My answer would be, this particular entity is is gone, yes. It's not completely over, I don't think. I I second Adam, by the way. I think. Oh, you're just all over Adam? You're on hashtag Um, team Adam? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I've already bought his, I've already, I've already bought his book and his jockstrap. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Oh my God! You he, are such a king. He really my dives God. into that. that. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Jockstrap first, God. Okay. Not just a tip. <laughs> no. Hey, That's all the way in. <laughs> Jeez. All right, Paulo. How about you? Dead or alive? I'm gonna go ride my Doctor Who theory into next season and say that version is dead, but this possible. El Cuco Holly hybrid is not going to be a being of of one mind like the last El Cuco. I think it's going to be something new, something that has this drive to act in El Cuco-ish sorts of ways, but will have Holly's resistance and logic and um, the way that she looks at things uh, to to battle it. Uh, that's my that's my guess. Sort of, if you don't know the Doctor Who idea, that's how they get new actors to play Doctor Who every couple of seasons. Is they just say, "Oh, he regenerated, so he remembers most of who he was, but he's a totally new guy." Don't don't associate the new guy with the old guy, other than to say that they have the same name and they use the same. Phone booth. And most recently switched from what had been 12 previously male doctors to a first female doctor. That too, right. So Holly could maybe be like the first Doctor Who El Cuco. <laughs> Would that be El Cuco? Just Doctor El Cuco. Right? El Cuco. Doctor Cuco. You got to say the H before the W. Cuco. Oh my god. We're going to get off of El Cuco for just a moment and move over to the actual like story they have to concoct. Go to the local police and try to piece things back together and make things where El Cuco is not a part of the story anymore, but it ties up with a bow. Paul, what did you think about this? Was their story believable? Could you piece it together enough? Least favorite part of the episode for me in that it felt overly long and in doing so made it feel more important than I thought it needed to be. That made me feel like I I wasn't understanding something. Like I wasn't getting the concept of, of their explanation and why the show needed to spend so freaking long on it. But the concept of not going to your fellow policeman and saying, yep, it was a ghost, totally a ghost, is a really relatable concept. I mean, you may have to have lived through a supernatural problem, but getting everyone else to believe it, knowing all the trouble you went through, say you're Ralph, to believe it, 
you had it was literally seeing is believing for Ralph, and none of them are going to get that opportunity. So the safer bet, the, the bet that keeps you out of jail, out of the mental institution, is to come up with a plausible story like they came up with. It was somebody control, somebody had something on Jack. Jack that caused a lot of problems for them, but it was really this other guy who's in the wind, and we're still looking for him. I, I, I understand completely why they would do that. I like that we got to see how everyone reacted to it. Yoon prepping Claude and him being so fucking nervous about trying to remember the story. Holly having to downplay who Andy was to her, calling him competent and just to hire on the payroll just to make the story work and, and her breaking down. You know, Jeannie going to see Glory and then Jeannie setting the fucking chair on fire. You know, I like, I, you know, the story was predictable. They had to tell that story, but I did like how the show showed us how all of them dealt with it, and they all dealt with it in very different ways. Adam, did you feel like the story that they told the police was believable, or, you know, this was just ridiculous? They were ready to believe whatever. In order for it to be realistic, viable, in a sense, you can't tell the truth in this case, so they're having to uh, come up with something that would not just make sense, but for for the police to, to buy it. But I do agree that it, it kind of felt like they spent a lot of time on that ending, and it almost, in a sense, kind of feels rushed how it all just kind of happened in well and specifically like the way that they basically had to undo all the their journey by telling a completely different story to the police and to the world basically it felt like such a disservice to holly because she is the one who figured this all out and it just felt so bad you know that she had to like just abandon the concept all throughout, whenever she needed to make the presentation about El Cuco, that, that no one was going to believe her, it was going to be an uphill climb. And that was with a small group of people that legitimately wanted to solve the crime, wanted to solve the issue. And in this case, you'd be dealing with these local cops who have none of that background and are interested in why their little in, their little deal there is 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 got you know blown up trucks and bodies everywhere. I think I think it's a very realistic expectation for her to think that that she would have to have to leave out all of the supernatural business by saying that he's still loose. I think it's an interesting tie-in again to a possible season two. You know, with that new kid that we learned out of nowhere last week having having this killer still on the loose is, is just a nice tie into da hayes letting you know exonerating terry and you know the story continues well, that's a great segue there is some other creature out there and it couldn't have been our el cuco because he was nowhere near there right know, when this body was found right. so yeah. it, it it was an accidental nice dovetail to putting the pieces together for our next season storyline i think they're trying to lead us to believe that el cuco a is the responsible scratcher but there's no reason to think that she could have gotten that scratch from something off camera something incidental that we didn't even notice she might have even gotten scratched and it, we just didn't it just didn't even register as, as an event because it happened three episodes ago or something i'm just hypothesizing yeah i agree mm -hmm. yes it was significantly different than everyone else's scratch that we had seen i think again it was just another manipulative red herring for people to be like oh shit but i don't think it means anything it was like it was like a huge gash every other scratch was just a nick a nick that drew blood this was like the kind of thing you do with like you know uh you you like scrape it against a piece of wood or something like a splinter kind of thing. you know it was that kind of cut it wasn't like an El Cuco scratch. It was your cliche cliffhanger 
it's obvious that the camera is intentionally wanting to see the scratch that's on her, her forearm. Myself and everyone in the group, and I'm sure most of the audience is like, oh, she's scratched, so she's infected. She's going to be the next antagonist of season two. But I just think that's too obvious. I think it's going to be something like you guys just said. Pick any of the characters like Closure here. What did you think? I'm going to look at Ralph and Jeannie. I really enjoyed their interaction at the graveside. It didn't seem quite as um, black as their their dealings with Derek had been all season. They were unified. They seemed together. I liked Jeannie's fat chance of that (laughs) business about letting Derek go. I mean, Ralph may not have anything to do with season two. I don't really know why he would. But I'm, I'm hopeful for those two that, that things might be converging. Their paths might be coming together again. Jeannie has been a, such a great character the entire time when he admits to her that he saw Derek and he wants them to, like, you know, let him go. And she says, fat chance. I was like, oh, my goodness. That was the perfect response. And they could just, like, have their little moment. And she's like, oh, you know, we can go visit him in many, many years I thought that was so sweet and such a proper ending to them. It just, it felt so, so, so right with them. Man, I, t- I totally disagree. Ooh, I thought that was so harsh of her. I felt like Ralph was finally like, I'm going to embrace this. This things are possible in the world. It's cracked wide open. I can't explain. Maybe we'll see him again. I thought it was just like this, like this almost childlike Ralph who's now open to this world of wonder. And Jeannie just kind of looks at him like, bitch, he dead. We're going to be dead and visit him before he comes and visit us. And you could see it was literally like someone threw cold water on him. The look he gives her was just like, like, I don't, he was not down with the idea of, oh yeah, we can see Derek again when we're fucking dead. <laughs> totally liked it. I, because I thought it was like, you know, we can believe in the afterlife and that kind of thing. But like, we need to be okay with where we are right now. And you would have rather to be like, yeah, let's like have a seance every night. No, but I like that he was so vulnerable to the idea of anything is possible. What did we complain about week after week after week on the show was his closed-mindedness, his ability to accept anything. And now he was like, maybe things are possible. And she's like, nah, nah, bro, nah. (laughs) It's like he's finally come around. I did not see it that way. Now that you explain it, I can see how, how one might. Not me. I don't get it at all. I'm just being a bitch. No, I told I, she was saying fat chance to to the idea of forgetting yeah, him or moving right. on. That's what she said. Fat chance to she wasn't being snotty about you know maybe there's other things. She was saying we're always gonna love him. We're never gonna move on or forget him. Oh, see, I took it because he says the world's cracked wide open. You know who knows? Maybe we'll see him again. And she's like, yeah, I don't know. We're gonna see him again. He'll come to us again. But we'll see him again. You know, I don't know. It was just. You took it too sad or whatever. I, I, yeah. I thought it meant they could move on. And they had such a disjointed couple this entire season. I just thought it felt good to watch them each put a rose. And I know that's a very cheesy thing. But then just sort of be like, okay, we're watching them walk off together. They're going to be okay. Right. I also felt good about them at the end of it. I was curious what you guys thought about the slow pan to the Frankie Peterson headstone. Only because I feel like Frankie actually got kind of forgotten a lot in the season as the season went on, especially after Terry was killed. Frankie really disappeared from the story. So I thought it was an interesting choice to your final scene, well, before the after credit scene, was to linger on his headstone. I just thought it was kind of a reminder of where it all started. It was like bookending it, right? Yeah. I mean, you're right. Like, he... 
kind of did get forgotten. The case was all about him at the beginning. And then we get deeper and deeper into this Okuko, the Jack, and, and just everything else. And then finally we get the shot of, hey, you know, Frankie's still gone. This is where the story begins. Terry and Glory, guys, do we feel like Terry got vindicated do we feel like it was enough vindication? Until the uh, lawsuits are settled, this is plan A at this point in time. You can't bring him back to life as far as we know. We only know that there are El Cucos. We don't know that there's actual, you know, bringing people back to life. This is the best you could hope for. Just the DA saying, Mia culpa, I messed up, he's innocent stop treating her this way is basically the, what he's hoping the article is going to produce out of the townspeople. Ditto. I agree. Best outcome for right now. Do you guys think that Glory drops the lawsuits at him or do you think that she's going to pursue this? Is Terry being vindicated, you know, or I guess what's the right word? Not acquitted. Um, exonerated? Exonerated. Yeah. So Terry being exonerated. Like, was this enough? Did she let it all go? Season two lawsuits. No, she got to sue them. She has no way to get a job. The, you know, him being exonerated in the paper, it's not realistic that people are going to be like, oh, your husband wasn't a child pedophile sodomist killer. You know, definitely welcome back. There will be people that will call out to her from cars driving by and bullshit like that. And not for nothing, even with the exoneration, they're responsible for the proximate cause of her husband's death. A sorry, a Steve Urkel did I do that doesn't make up for you are part and parcel responsible for my husband being dead. No, sue those fuckers into the ground. Yeah. That's yes, do that. And with Howie being dead, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, avail I'm available to represent her in season two. Well, just knowing the, the bit of character that we got to know of Glory, I feel like, it, no, we're not dropping anything. Did you guys think it was adorable that Claude ended up going back to family home, it looked like? I didn't even see that clip, but... So he goes back, but I don't know. I think it was the family house, right? Or was it... Did not what you guys saw? I saw him going, like, kind of trying to return home. I didn't pick up where it was. It didn't. Seal's really. house makes sense because, I mean, he didn't have anything else. He didn't have anything permanent back in Cherokee City. I mean, if you don't have the peach crease, what do you really have, honestly? Nothing. So you got your dead brother's house. Nice. It's their family home, right? It's like where you grew up. That's what we mm -hmm. gathered. Yeah, something like that. Another ha another happy childhood. We have to talk about what were the oddities about the ending scenes here and just Holly's behavior in general. There was a bunch of little nuggets here and there that were like, what did we just see? I'm going to start off with, why did she say, who's Terry? Gigantic question mark. The best theory I can think of is that somehow this conversion to this new El Cuco is, is underway and it's messing with her, her memories because I don't like the theories about it being some sort of weird joke on, on her part. Because it just doesn't really fit. She wasn't really a jokester. And the time and place doesn't really match for a good time for jokes. It's, it's something is happening to her and it's affecting her memory. I thought it was the first sign of that she is not herself. I didn't know exactly. It's like, wait, wait, is this really, is, is she disoriented in some way? Is this transferred to her? Like, it felt like there was a change in her, but I couldn't make sense of the, the line itself. Like, why would she ask that specific question? Because even so, I mean, El Cuco knows who Terry is. So I was just trying to, to understand why she would have had that question. That's probably the biggest question I have out of the entire episode. And, and no one, even in the group, everybody has, has their own thing. Yeah, but no, we, don't, we just don't have a concrete answer. And I guess it's, it, that's, that's the point. It's, it's left for interpretation. Well, everybody's saying the obvious thing, is, which is what they left us with, is that she's now being taken over. 
you know, she is whatever the second coming of El Cuco is going to be. Unless this new version of El Cuco is not related to the original, and so it doesn't have any relation to Terry or memory of Terry. Right. It fits my Doctor Who regeneration theory. Knowledge yeah. of what you are. It's a new Yeah, you thing. are a new yeah. thing. Actually, now that I just talked it out, you guys are, I think I'm going to go with that. It's something new. Find out in season two, if there's a season two. There was a couple of other things that raised my eyebrow that I want to know what you think about Holly's behavior. She was listening to the radio in the ending scene, even though prior in the season she had said, I don't listen to the radio. I don't listen to music at all. I know all the lyrics to songs, but I don't listen to the radio. They played her twirling her hair in reverse. And of course you have the scratch. What was going on? What? Everything you guys are talking about, none of it makes sense. I'm sticking with my theory that it was just bad Holly humor. If it was an El Cuco, where was the real Holly? If it was an invasion, well, we never saw anything like that before. Remember, El Cuco didn't go into the person. El Cuco took their form, so there was always two. There was the doppelganger theory. That was the El Cuco doppelganger that formed suddenly, even though every other El Cuco needed 27 days to take a full transformation. Where was real Holly's body? Ralph is standing right there over her when she says it. We didn't see her get scratched. The scratch that's on her arm at the end wasn't really visible any other time. It was totally inconsistent with any other scratch we saw any other character get for the El Cuco infection. She and Ralph were both in the cave-in, which would explain the scratch. The music thing I thought was kind of weird. She seemed kind of drugged when she's sitting on the bed. But before that, when she sees Jack flash in the mirror, you know, really quickly and she turns around, you know, the first thing she does is she grabs the mirror, like her little hand mirror, and looks for the welts on her neck, and they're not there. She convinces herself that she's not being controlled. None of that seems to track with someone who had been El Cuco'd. She wouldn't have freaked out by seeing Jack in the mirror. She would have understood what it was if she was El Cuco. I think it was just all more of the episode's bullshit editing. Just all red herring stuff that was just meant to drive people crazy and be like, what does it mean? The Who's Terry was just part of her kind of weird humor that we'd seen her do the stone face comedy like in a car when she tells, you know, Ralph shares that story and she says, just a coincidence. I, I know it's a bad theory, but none of the other theories fit with anything else that the show presented us. It would be like, all right, we're going to we're gonna teach you ABCs, and then you get your final exam, and it's like a math question with numbers. It would make no sense any other theory. One of the things I saw somebody suggest was that maybe the final scene was the show itself testing the audience. Like, can we show you anything and you would be a believer? Or does do things have to be logical and have to make sense? Like, why don't we even show you this scene in reverse of her twirling her hair? We're going to do, we're going to play this music and it's going to be, you know, coincidentally, the song that Ralph talked about in the car with Holly. Were they testing us? Was this, like Mike just said, just like kind of a hodgepodge of kind of wackiness? Um, well, they are asking us to pay close attention with making us keep track of these sorts of details, like that she doesn't like music and that. I think all that stuff is adding together. Plus, I mean, she gets a, a, a post-credit scene. All that stuff is just adding together to something's happening with Holly beyond just an inability to make uh, a good joke. No, I agree. I, I think that they made it very obvious that something is happening with Holly. I, I immediately noticed the music different. It was made clear earlier on that she didn't like music or favorite, and then she's listening to it. She's playing with her hair. I don't know if I read something about this, but all of the people that it took over had short hair or didn't have long hair. So she's like playing with it, fascinated by it. They're holding on her doing this for a bit. And it's like, why is she playing with her hair? And then that's when they we have the reveal of the scratch. 
But I'm like, okay, that's all obvious. Or we're left to believe that she's now going to be the second being of El Cuco or whatever it's going to be for the continuation. But I think that's what a lot of people are thinking, which fuels my it's too obvious, though, theory. But also, why would she then freak out when she sees Jack in the bathroom before that? And again, where is the real Holly body if she is the El Cuco Holly? Unless we're saying this new El Cuco is a body possessor versus a doppelganger thing. My thought trying to fit this into a square peg was listening to the music. She heard the door, the Ralph story about the old timey music. So she's listening to the classic rock-ish music. She's reading about the story about the case being reopened. I had a theory that maybe she was changed by her romantic experience with Andy. Maybe that's the payoff of the Andy storyline. She is now open to things that she was not open to before. In the same way that she opened herself up to having feelings for Andy, and even though that didn't work out, that now she's trying these things to see if maybe she is changed. Maybe maybe she's changed, but not in an El Cuco way. Maybe she's changed in like a growth kind of way. I like that, but I do want to mention this. There was another after credit scene that we had with Holly. Do you remember when she like sits up in bed or whatever and she's like screaming? And this was like a while back, Paul. I don't know if you remember this, but it was like it was a couple of episodes again. And it made me feel a little bit like Claude acted when he felt like tormented, like someone was trying to get to him. And it was just like that tiny after credit scene. Then we never heard about it again. Here again, now she's seeing like things behind her and stuff. If it turns out that she is the El Cuco, I would just be, I think I would just be very disappointed by that. Predictable. And I think it's super lazy. I would not want to watch that season. So I think that's why I'm being resistant to it. I think it's the worst, one of the worst possible ways for them to go. Plus, it would also change the entire concept of the story that they established in season one. I think it's going to be something completely different. They're li- they're leaving us with that because it is the obvious thing, but it'll be some reveal where the scratch is not- it's unrelated, has nothing to do with it. What do all of you guys think about the fact that she is a lady who's always had an answer for everything, and yet she gives the shrug? That was like the final moment with her, and Ralph was just like shrug. I don't know what was that. That was not a character. Or Very was she unholy. Just yeah, it was like I thought maybe that was the beginning of this. I don't want to call it a transformation, but you know the, the beginning of the the differences that we see. Mike, you would like quotes. What did you think there when Holly's all an outsider knows an outsider? I, I liked how she set it up about her father and talking about that. This, if this was a Nell Kuko Holly, I don't know that she would have that kind of knowledge yet if she doesn't know who Terry Maitland is, but she knows quotes from her dead father. I don't know, that didn't seem to make sense to me. It worked for me, obviously, on an El Kuko and Holly as both outsiders. But I also kind of felt like she was calling Ralph an outsider. She was talking about her in relation to El Cuco, an outsider knows an outsider. But I think she was also trying to give an explanation of her unlikely friendship with Ralph. Ralph is different than the other cops in Cherokee City, you know, for better or for worse. Uh, he, he is he is an outsider, you know, this this oddity in Cherokee City now, as much as Glory is, I think, I think Ralph is too. So I like the line because it seemed to work on both levels for me. Could have been read as just a, like, you know, man, I'm tired. Been a long day. I'm not some kind of shaman that, that, that just knows all sorts of supernatural shit. You asked me to find something. I found it. But that doesn't mean I go around knowing all about ghosts and stuff. That was a super funny way to say it. I don't know about ghosts and that shit. Nice. Nice. Was there any last comments that you guys had to make? Any last things that didn't make sense or you're like, what is going to happen now? Obviously, we have this last victim in the woods that was found. And so something's got to give. 
the show told a really interesting wrapped up story. I could see why people were unhappy with the finale from an anti-climatic standpoint. But if you are not going to have a season two, then I like how this episode ended because it really did tie up all the storylines. I like to see, you know, how everyone coped with the cover story. We got to have the nice Ralph Genie moment. Holly is on her own path story. So it's a very self-contained season, and I like that. But, you know, it also does add in some mystery if there is going to be a season two. Well, you know, all signs seem to point that they're going to do a season two. I think it'll be a very different show next season, no matter what they do and no matter who they bring back. Adam, what do you think? Are you watching season two no matter what? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just out of curiosity, just to see the direction they're going to take. Pretty sure it's not going to be anything like like they left it. Cynthia, she's she's fantastic. Is your Facebook page like? Do you feel like most of the audience says I'm coming back for a second season for sure, or are they like oh, I'm one and done? No, actually, I think the group has taken more to the show than I I thought because everyone, including myself, was shocked by Bateman's short lived role to really have a lot of uh, good things to say about it. So I think they will be coming back. I think this was a really above average, uh, probably even A-level Stephen King adaptation because we've seen them drop the ball quite a bit when it comes to Stephen King. Otherwise, we sat through all three seasons of Under the Dome. We know what we're talking about. This was, on the other hand, something that it looked like it really had time, love, and appreciation of the source material and all that applied to it. And I think it came out really well. Season two for me is at least a starter. For sure. I am too. I will definitely check out season two. I want to see what they're up to. I want to see where they want to take the story. Classic HBO. Great production values. Great casting. Just strong mood. The new Stephen King collection of four long stories is releasing in May of this year. The name of the collection is If It Bleeds. And the lead story is going to be a Holly Gibney standalone story, which acts as a sequel to the Outsider story. We're getting another Outsider universe Holly Gibney That really makes sense with with the bit that the showrunner said about using Holly and the fact that she was from other books, that the fact that she was from another TV show and, and that he was given quite a bit of latitude except for one thing. He could not change her name. In the idea that there's no such thing as bad press. It doesn't matter if the character doesn't match exactly. It just has... It's just the matter of having the name out there in the public consciousness is what he was looking for. When I first started the the first episode of this, it was the score. The music is just it was very compelling. Just in moments that you didn't think that they would put that kind of music on there. It was it, from the beginning. It was just very very intense. I agree with you. And the other thing that they did a really great job with is the camera work. Like there was sometimes I know we didn't like it in the finale, and that's a little bit hard when when I've complimented it throughout. Like the the idea of like sort of hiding behind things and coming around the corner and acting like it's sort of like skulking around whomever they were they were watching at the time. There'd be conversations, and it would be like really far in the distance and the camera would be sort of like tucked behind a chair or something. I liked all that. It made me feel like there was something looking at you, watching you. And and it was it built the suspense for me as well. Same with the score. Same. I feel like a lot of people were talking about how much it built their the, the thriller kind of aspect of the show. Yeah, the, the music was super popular all over in the outsider reddits on in the different Facebook 
groups out there and Adam's Facebook group in particular, which I think is probably the largest outsider group on Facebook. As soon as it started, I'm like, wait, wait a minute. I don't even know what's happening right now. There's nothing really happening in the scene, but this music is saying something is about to happen. It kept me in the entire time to comment on the, the camera. There was these focus points. They'd focus on, on somebody's computer screen and like they would focus on a, like a word or a sentence and you can clearly read it, but everything else around is blur. It wasn't just like background blur. It was intentionally everything around that, that line you're supposed to read blurred. Time well spent. <laughs> we have mistakenly put time into other King adaptations for podcasts, kicked ourselves at the end of it for having spent 10 weeks or whatever watching a piece of shit and putting out a podcast about a piece of shit. We have a good podcast about a good show. <laughs> You're so funny. Mike, anything? This was a refreshing way to spend the last 10 weeks. Any show that makes you have a good conversation where you can go two hours and still have a ton of stuff to touch on, that, that's a good show. I learn a lot through not just watching the episode once by myself. It's uh, I have to go and, and explore it to get more. And, and then I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I see it this way now. If people want to get in touch with you or they want to f- join your Facebook group, why don't you let people know where they can find you on Facebook and other social media? So we're the Outsider Fan Group, parentheses, HBO miniseries. But you could probably type in the Outsider fan group, and I'm I'm pretty sure at this point it's probably going to come up. If not the first result, it'll be on the first page. And we're nearing a thousand members. I also admin the uh, Ozark fan group. Anybody can reach out to me for any admin questions for whatever. But my name is Adam Ramirez, and you can easily easily find me. Search Adam Ramirez eighty three. Well, that sounds great. Thank you so much, Adam, for joining us tonight. We hope sure. that you had fun, and we hope that your Facebook group gets a chance to hear you live. That would be exciting, right? What does Adam really sound? like (laughs) we hope that you get a lot of comments on that this has been caroline with daily review paul with daily review and this is mike from pop culture review thanks so much for listening guys thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production pod clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate review and subscribe to our podcast feeds on apple podcasts Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. 